You are listening to the Drunken Penwriting Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me, as always, Spencer, the Detroit Dirt Digger Church. I was going to say Ditch Digger, but that seemed <laughs> yeah, a little too harsh. Yeah. I don't know what you're digging in the dirt, though, either. That's a bad one. Yeah. That eh, wasn't my best. Today, we have a special guest. Another guest. We've been having guests all week. Yeah. All month. Not week. Yeah, um, <laughs> we're, closing, we're closing in on a month of guests. Almost. I know. That's a first. We normally don't have guests on just because we don't want to do the extra work, but this has been a good, if this is a precursor to how our summer will go, we'll have yeah. lots of fun stuff out here. Uh, so, he is the author of two poetry collections, I believe, as The Moonlight mm-hmm. Shines and American Bug, as well as the author of the novels Diesel Doctrine and the Temporarily Embarrassed Millionaires, and your newest work, which is The Massacre at the Comic Shop, Mr. Nick Ulanowski. Did I say that right? Yes. Oh, there we go. <laughs> How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's good to be on the show. You originally started from my brief research here. You were writing horror poetry. Uh, is that what those collections are? That's just poetry in general. I was writing poetry in general. I um, I had uh, really I wrote another novel um, in my early 20s that was never really finished called uh, The Stone Angel. And uh, it's bad. I n- never plan on putting out in the world. <laughs> but as most folks novels are, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I incorporated uh, poetry into that book. I was like, hey, how about I, the protagonist that writes a bunch of poems? And a lot of those poems I liked, uh, and I even ended up liking more than you know the rest of the book. Uh, one of them is even in my first book, of poetry, as the light shines. Really more, I got started writing poetry because my best friend at the time who I grew up with was a murderer who was stabbed to death. Mm. And I had a lot of thoughts and feelings, and I was honestly imagining his death over and over again in my head. And I had wrote some violent imagery, and I wrote uh, how I was feeling, and that was kind of what As the Moonlight Shines was. And there's some very poor poetry in there, too, because I was also watching a lot of horror movies at the time, and I was writing about them, and but it tied into everything else I was writing about as well. And my newest book is currently on Kickstarter. It's um, it's finished. It's been professionally edited. I have a cover and back cover. It's uh, called Massacre at the Comic Shop. And honestly, I revisited a lot of my old feelings when I wrote that book because it is about the protagonist is a the owner of a comic book store and his friends and regular customers getting killed off by a toxic fan in a mask with the chainsaw. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I saw in your and, Kickstarter, uh, he was uh, dressed in a Scream uniform because the movie was coming yes. out, or was that just a separate thing you had him? Oh, it was a, it was very much my own idea. I uh, I wasn't even going to mention that anywhere, but then the movie came out at the same time that the Kickstarter <laughs> dropped, and I was like, you know, I'm going to... I'm gonna Ride back, back of that wave yeah. a little bit. Why not? Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually, like, it's, when I was thinking about what I wanted for the cover, I uh, I talked to Kevin P. West. He's a great artist who I've worked with before, both privately as a commission, and um, he illustrated my poem, uh, Maga Hat and American Bug. His bread and butter is really writing, like, excuse me, really drawing, like, uh, horror movie monsters and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, you know, <laughs> I didn't want to draw, I want him to draw any, in, any actual inference of... Um, you know, the ghost face imagery. I don't want Paramount to sue me. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, ghost face is mentioned in the book. The killer is dressed up like ghost face. Which you can you know, have uh, in a prose novel. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's all. I, yeah. That's another reason why it can't be a comic. They're talking about that on the, the Paul City Comics podcast <laughs> and asked about that. Yeah. I don't want Paramount to sue me. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> it's always a good um, idea yeah. not to get sued. 
<laughs> yes. Even if you hit all your Kickstarter goals, that's not going to cover. That's yeah. not going to put a dent in that bill. So <laughs> that'd be a hell of, that'd be a hell of a stretch goal. Yeah. <laughs> if we cover made... Paramount suing me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that usually won't. That probably wouldn't go over too well, I'd imagine. But uh, still cool. I'm imagining because it's set in a comic book shop, you have. You know, a galore of pop culture references and things like that. Oh, so yeah. that I would imagine the killer being dressed as Ghostface would fit right in with that. Yes, and uh, I do have on the on the back cover of the book what the killer says is, uh, "The same cosplay. I just wanted to kill you like they do in the movies." Nice. And uh, the killer is at first mistaken for a cosplayer walking into a comic book shop, but then it turns out that you know they actually are a killer. Sorry, yeah, I was uh, trying to look up your one book, and it came up oh, something about Amish daydreams. I was like, "What is this?" I was oh, like, "Oh, that's somebody else." <laughs> um, no, oh, what? I can just keep talking if you got. Uh, <laughs> um, I was. I just wanted to circle back to as the moonlight shines, because uh, okay. you were talking about you know kind of rough poetry at times. You're just finding your you know your footing in that world, and really just dumping <laughs> your feelings. I'd imagine. So with this new project, have you taken anything from that? Even if it's just like. Like I noticed, like you were talking about the feelings that went into that, so it matters a lot of loss and grief and all that stuff. Did you bring that to this new book, or is this more of just like fun? You know, like more of a entertainment. Oh, uh, I would say it's both of those things and something else. Something. <laughs> so, um, it, it yeah, so something else is I am trying to you know, it is a horror novel with something to say. I'm trying to say something about comic fandom. I'm trying to say something about comic fandom, media consumption, etc. Uh, I don't want to say too much. Uh, just because uh, it, you got to read the book. It's definitely, um, you know, a statement about um, the idea for the book came to me um, when I was just thinking how similar anonymous trolls online are to masked slasher villains and how, um, you know, they you don't know their identity. They can, you can swear on this podcast, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah cool. Yeah. The more the you better. Don't know their <laughs> <laughs> you don't know their identity. They fuck shit up. They create terror. Uh, essentially, uh, in, this, in the context of uh, fandom spaces and comic shops, uh, that's exactly what anonymous trolls do. It's like when you... I, I don't own a comic book store. However, one of my best friends is the owner of a comic book shop. We hang out on his off days. Anytime someone kind of walks into the door of a comic shop, you're thinking, you know, is that the same person that, you know, engaged in a target harassment campaign of a, of a, of a female comic book writer or editor, you know? And yeah, it you just, wouldn't know. It's like Giga Chad sixty nine online. Right. Like it could be, you know, somebody you yeah. think you know could be somebody completely different online. Yeah. Oh, and, and you just touched on when the gears turned even more in my brain when I was thinking, you know, how you know, there's also actually I gotta give a quick shout out to Phil Falcos. Uh, he wrote a horror comic called Haunting. I was talking to him at uh, Chicago Comic Convention C two E two last year about this. He said, you know, um, sometimes you know you almost like don't even know, even if it's someone you know, you know. And then I was like, oh, that's a that's a good murder mystery, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe it's someone they, maybe it's a stranger, maybe it's someone they don't know. And that's something that's kind of stressed in the book that really the killer can be anyone. It doesn't, there is a final reveal of who the killer is, but it kind of doesn't matter, you know, because <laughs> yeah. the, 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 that's what anonymous trolls and mass killers. Because yeah, by the know. time you find out the damage is already done. Yeah. That's the main yeah. thing. Well, you yeah. know, with the toxic fandom and the online trolls, I do love that, that you use the, the, horror villain as the place card for these people because like a lot of them do have the intellect of leather face a lot of them are creepy perverts like uh freddy krueger like they could just be whatever you need them to be because they are this blank slate and it's just like this representation of evil 
online, but then in person, they could act like the nicest person to you. Yeah. You wouldn't know. South Park mm-hmm. did an episode on that. What was the uh, Skank Hunter? Yeah. Called Dad's it was, Skank Hunter that or something. A, that was like a couple episode one. Yeah. yeah, and he was like, you know, this nice, respected lawyer, but then online, he's like <laughs> telling people to kill himself, and he's just the biggest piece of shit ever. Photoshopping dicks in people's mouths. <laughs> yeah, ruining lives. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> there's a weird compulsion there that people have to do that online. I don't know if it's just because you could be anonymous or if it's really their inner feel. I suspect a lot of it's just people wanting to lash out because they feel bad and they can't do that in the real world. So if they want to go and harass the actresses from the new Lord of the Rings show or, you know, the, the new Little Mermaid actress, oh, yeah. like anything like that, because even if you don't like the product, why do that? Like, what yeah. does that really bring? Like, how does that enrich your life to go? Oh, I don't like this live action, action Little Mermaid casting or the song decisions or the diversity or whatever they're going to do. So you just like go online this crusade to shit on it and try to are you trying to change other people's opinions? I don't know. Like you said, with the horror villains, maybe they just want to murder, you know, they just want to mm-hmm. ruin everything around them. For no other reason than just to do it. But regardless, it sounds like a fun book. Like, yeah, is uh, <laughs> it all take place in the comic shop or is it, you know, structured out? Almost. So uh, my other novel, uh, Diesel Doctrine and the Temporarily Embarrassed Millionaire, it's sort of just Diesel Doctrine. That book, the entire book took place at the truck stop. I did work at two different truck stops for three years. It's based on people I used to know and uh, their thoughts and feelings and struggles and stuff like that. This book almost entirely takes place at the comic book store the whole thing does not i almost can't i can't even really tell you where else it takes place <laughs> so that's like a spoiler but mo- almost the entire book does in fact take place at the comic book store the next chapter is kind of like the following wednesday a lot of the times mm-hmm. you know it's wednesday is the day new new comic books come out yeah and speaking of that like when i was writing it um you know i did want to make that clear if you you don't know that wednesday is new comic book day i originally had that written in the first chapter but i not my official editor, but someone else who looked at the book and uh, helped me with it. Like she said, you know, that, that sentence kind of messes with the, the flow. And I just sh- slightly changed it to like the most popular day for new comic book fans mm-hmm. to come to store. And then the next chapter, I explained that to the reader. You know, that was something that I, I um, struggled with a little bit with the balance for like, uh, like I had to think about the audience is comic book fans, but also someone who might not be familiar with that world at all is kind of stepping into a world they don't know about. That is part of the appeal of the book I'm hoping is like to someone who doesn't even really know about comic book stores to read the book and kind of feel like they do now. But of course it is also a horror mm-hmm. story as well. I don't want to, <laughs> but you're fi- you are like towing a fine line because one, you're doing the crossover between having regular book fans and comic book fans, but now you're bringing in horror fans too. A, so you technically have three different genres, it, different mediums. It's, it's a big jumbo <laughs> of pulp culture. Yeah. So, like you said, you know, you have not everyone knows New Comic Days Wednesday, but mm-hmm. you could bring that in, and then the people who don't know that can enjoy that. But then you could bring in the elements because I would imagine, like, you have Ghostface, for instance. Not, not I mean, these things usually go hand in hand. But if you have somebody that only reads fantasy novels or something. They, if they don't watch horror movies, they might not necessarily know that. Or at least know it by like the Ghost description. Face. Like, like they would like if they see a scream commotion, they know it, but they don't know like that's Ghost Face. Like, yeah. As as well, as I mean, a lot of people who aren't into horror don't actually know that he's called Ghost Face. Yeah. They would, you know, <laughs> they just think Scream maybe yeah. if they think anything. His name's Scream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you go with, uh, you know, all those things together. Like it's just a fun mix, and I'd imagine not having read the book, but I would imagine 
you get to have a lot of fun just with like the pop culture because it's a comic shop. So what oh, do people? Absolutely. Yeah, what do they talk about everything and everything? Think of Clerks or something yeah. along those lines. Like you have a lot of fun dialogue, and then this backdrop of murder and mayhem. Yeah, I mean that's something I would want to read. Like that just sounds awesome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't uh, feel free not to answer if uh, you know if it gives anything away. But I would feel like I would want to kind of mess with some of the deaths and have them like either like imitate or like reference like famous uh like deaths within like comics did that i did that ever cross your mind or is that would that be giving too much away for the story uh not exactly uh, i didn't exactly do that but uh there's something like that that i would be definitely giving something away in the story okay <laughs> want to see uh, him break someone's back yeah, like exactly. Batman yeah. or something yeah <laughs> Get beat um, to a bloody pulp like Superman from Doomsday. People getting thrown <laughs> off of bridges. It might be a little excessive, but that could be a fun follow-up if you ever do a sequel. Just Everything is a pun, and everything has comic-related deaths. Um, <laughs> How many people can we shove in the fridge? <laughs> Going back to my favorite horror movie, Death, I think is uh, and when Jason goes to space, when he... Oh, freezes yeah. that chick's head and smashes her on. I don't know how you do that in a comic shop, but that'd be awesome. He stuck her head in the <laughs> See, deep in the ice cream freezer. My favorite from was that is when he literally beat the one chick to death with the, the other, other chick. chick yes. bag. That movie was awful, but the deaths were amazing. We digress a little too far. Um, <laughs> so you have, which I think is your day job now, but you have a background in journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. How does that affect, like, or well, how is that? Um, shaped your writing style because if you're going into a prose novel a fiction novel uh that's obviously different from journalism so do you still keep that same voice or do you have a different author's voice for the way you write fiction and poetry i think i uh in many ways very much kept the same voice uh you know writing uh for a local newspaper and writing about, you know, observing people, writing about the things they say that affects, you know, especially, uh, in the, especially the parts of the book that are more about kind of the shop and the, and the character's thoughts and opinions. Like the way I wrote that is very similar to the way I write news, d- do news writing. Mm-hmm. However, um, it's still different. It's, uh, I still approach it differently because I think it's, um, draw a vivid picture in, in the reader's head in mm-hmm. a way that I do sometimes in news writing but not always you know well it's an, I, I bring it up just because i think of you know like hemingway got his start in news and obviously literary fiction is a lot different from genre fiction and the kind of stories you're telling but just that short punchy style that you have for journalism because you only have a certain word count you have to keep things minimum you have to keep the information going uh you can't really focus on the details of certain things whereas in a prose novel you know you want to focus on the details sometimes you want metaphors that you can't use in journalism you want to paint imagery but you can't be too descriptive. So do you have any, you know, conflict with that? Or do you find that when you're writing fiction, you can just let it go and just kind of just write what comes to you and just enjoy the process versus having to be more strict like you would uh, writing for the news? I think it's a mixture between the two things, because I I also don't want to write too length, lengthily. You know, my, my a lot of my chapters are relatively the same length, you know, which I think that's uh, probably pretty common. But uh mm-hmm. That is something that I think I was able to do because I exercised my writing muscles writing the news. But also I think it's just really more so that, you know, I'm constantly exercising my writing muscles for work. So when I sit down to write a novel and something that I care about, it's not like I, you know, haven't been doing that, you know. It's, it's not so much as I think that you lose it if you don't write for a while, well, but, definitely you know, maybe you're not more difficult. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I think that's the, the biggest thing where... um 
writing the news just allows me to exercise my writing muscles. However, I, I absolutely think that the way I've written uh, news articles crosses over a little bit to the way I write a novel, or at least the way I wrote Massacre at the Comic Shop, uh, especially in the way people are quoted and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. quoting is a big part of what I do. And I think that uh, the way I have like punchy quotes in the news, a lot of times in the book, there is kind of like punchy quotes where it's just, it's not necessarily the point of the chapter or the point of the book or even the point of the character, but it's still a punchy thing this person yeah. said about pop culture or comic books or something. And the way that is written is probably similar to the way I listen to the recording of a interview with someone. And I pick out a couple things that stand out of what they said, you know. I feel like I kind of already said this, but I guess to um, maybe to reiterate, when I'm writing about the different characters and what they're saying about pop culture, comic books, or horror movies, etc., that is when my journalism background comes in the most. But as far as, you know, the setting and just the storytelling, you can actually, oh. yeah, have more fun with that. Absolutely. Um, see, I, I wondered if you've ever uh, thought or had an idea for either a novel or just like a short story or something set within like the news ward like that you could like <laughs> yeah especially with you uh seeming to do a lot of horror things that i think like you know i feel like there would be something there i didn't know if if you've ever uh thought or had any plans for for anything like that you know because that's that's another thing us writers try uh, tend to do is take right, our, you know, yeah. our real life aspect and kind of use that especially as we're starting uh, you know, trying to make a name for ourselves to, you know, use that as things to write about. Oh, that's a really good idea, actually. Maybe that could be a sequel, even. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm writing about what I know. I'm very familiar with the comic book world. Honestly, even though I am older, I only got my journalism degree a few years ago, so I've only been in this business for so, so much time, you know. But, I mean, that's a good idea. <laughs> well, you touched on something that always would worry me about, because, you know, we have friends who are writers who also work office jobs and you know they write for a living or things like you know not fun writing like technical writing copywriting things like that so mm-hmm. do you ever get any kind of burnouts like oh i worked all day had to write a news piece and do all this stuff today now i gotta go write my novel like do you ever have any kind of conflict there oh uh, not really actually i oh, think that good. um it, it act, in fact sometimes i uh, i can't wait to be done with my article so i can get back to the story i'm writing that's uh, a good problem to have yeah because <laughs> yeah, the uh, the uh, analogy I always hear when it comes to that is like you know that's like a guy who works in a hardware store all day and then goes home and looks at nails. Yeah, like, <laughs> you might not want to do that. Well, the other thing, um, you know, you guys are called the the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I think that, uh, and it's legal now in Illinois, so I don't have to worry too much about this. But you know, I um, sometimes after I get I'd get done writing an article, which I write completely sober. I uh, hit the THC vape and I start writing creatively. So do yeah. the do do the job sober and the fun stuff with a little bit of an extra. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Take yeah. the edge off there, so to speak. Um, Get that muse flowing a little bit. Since we're in this area, I uh, personally, for me, if I if I drink, I could have like a drink, maybe two drinks, and my writing's fine. Whether it's serious writing or if it's just like my fiction or something. Uh, and by serious writing, I mean like when I was doing editing and yeah. different, you know, things like that for people. But when you, or for me anyway, like if I have too many drinks, like three, four, like I'm useless. I can't write. So do you ever have that, or is it just like yeah, I just have one hit and then you know I'm good and then I can write? Or something like artists, I find like with THC stuff, you know, 
it seems to be, be more of a creative kind of drug for them versus well, I think alcohol it, or things that bring you down. Or, uh, I think it helps relax and stimulate like the creativity. Yeah. It it helps like helps you think to where I think like alcohol a lot kind of dulls, dulls you yeah. down. Like, hmm. Well, I think uh, THC kind of in a way makes your thoughts louder. And you know, and the and and I have more of an urge to write them down. The other thing is, I think that uh, weed makes me more confident as a writer. Where it's yeah, like, oh, yeah. every thought that comes into my brain, brilliant, is yeah, yeah, yeah see, that, brilliant. I, you know? I remember, and that actually works well with creative writing because then you can write a whole bunch of shit and then just cut out the garbage yeah. and later on <laughs> you're sober. I you remember <laughs> Kevin Smith talking about that before, like whenever he started smoking, that it helped him with being like, oh, I don't give a shit. I'm just going to fucking do Anything, this thing yeah. and then put it out. Like that's how we got like yoga hosers. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Punching mini Nazis. That was a weird movie. Um, <laughs> well, that aside, uh, just because I am interested in like your your journalism background and your writing style, because I think that would be fun to just because you wrote it. Obviously, you're not gonna be able to break it down really, but like if we had, you know, one of us read your work or something, could we kind of pinpoint like, oh yeah, this guy's a journalist, or you know, kind of break down your style a little bit? It's just as a writing nerd, that's kind of fun for me. I like doing that. Just you know, tell how people like their background, how they came to writing, and because everybody has you know a different way like a different origin story for how they became a writer and you were talking about like the poetry and stuff i was just wondering like what kind of influences did you have were you reading anyone specific or do you have any writers that influenced your style at all or anything like that well i grew up reading uh the goosebumps and fear street books and uh everworld and animorphs and uh i think that that's kind of when i fell in love with fiction in a lot of ways and um one of the characters in my book is actually named after David from Everworld, uh, which was the like the YA, you know, the uh, the YA book series where K. Applegate who wrote Animorphs, uh, and uh, the way Arl Stein writes twists and and cliffhangers that uh, influenced the way I write it. I'd imagine the pacing too, because you you said the you pacing, had like yeah. very like standard uh, chapter lengths and things like that. Arl Stein yep. d- did that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, and uh, the the pacing absolutely, although. Uh, there's some very dialogue heavy parts of my book, which is not in yeah. <laughs> the first three books. <laughs> uh, but that, honest, that's probably, again, that's more my journalism background, the dialogue heavy stuff. And, you know, I read a lot of nonfiction. Honestly, I, like, honestly, I read and reread over and over a book called uh, Lockdown America, Police and Prisons in the Age of Crisis. It seems like something that wouldn't influence creative writing, but it does. That book tells so many stories of things that happened. I looked at the way Christian Parenti wrote that book closely, and I emulated that a, a while ago. Um, as far as more recently, it's it's kind of hard to say. I've just kind of been doing it for a while, and I write the way I write. I think once you find your own voice and you're comfortable with your writing, uh, and you're not really trying to emulate the Stephen Kings or Neil Gaiman's so. of the world, you get once you're just comfortable in your own skin, that's so half, to speak. That's half the battle. Yeah, then you could just yeah. focus on the work, and you're not really worried about you know how you come across or are people gonna really appreciate what your art is or you just want to create i think as writers we all go through the phrase the phase of you know we want to impress people or we want to be liked or we want people to think of us in a certain you know view us in a certain light but once you get beyond that and you can just focus on the work that's when you actually create things that people enjoy i find at least i find absolutely 
going back to your Kickstarter, uh, and I could be wrong because I only glanced at it earlier, but I think you already hit your goal. I did my initial funding goal. However, I yeah, you can do the stretch uh, goals and stuff. But... I'm hoping to hit the stretch goals. Um, I want an ebook uh, available. It's not very doesn't make a lot of financial sense to buy another ISBN, uh, pay for additional distribution with Ingram Spark, and um, and then also pay for the conversion because graphic designers, at least ones I know, don't even know how to make EPUB files. It's kind mm. of a very specialized thing. It's very expensive for something that I'm only making like a dollar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> for each time and. Uh, Unless I break those stretch goals, there's probably not going to be an ebook. And so uh, I am hoping to crack the stretch goals. And uh, there's rewards for people who back the book, and I do hit those funding goals. Um, uh, every $200 is another stretch goal. Um, I'll have a new poster made with the, the back cover art with the, the, uh, the rusty, bloody chainsaw and the Massacre at the Comic Shop logo. Kristen Palmer, who's a tattoo artist. Drew uh, kind of a sexy female vampire in my book of poetry, As in the Light Shines, to illustrate my poem, Garlic Soup for the Soul. And um, I'll have more little prints of that, just five by sevens. Um, I like that title, by the way, Garlic yeah, Soup for the Soul. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> good. I was thinking that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like sometimes I run through, like, you know, when I'm talking about things, I, I feel- I'll say, I'll, I'll briefly like reference something and mm-hmm. I'll, just, I'll just shoot right past it and I'm like, wait, <laughs> maybe I should have yeah. stopped it. I, I, I feel that, that but- that's the newsman coming out with like the headlines yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you need to stop and put a little pause after when you say something like that. It's like, hey, focus on that because that's cool. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, um, wait, what? Oh my God. What was your stretch goal? Because <laughs> there's three of them. Oh, the other one is new bookmarks, uh, which I already have bookmarks made promotional for the Kickstarter, but they'll just be slightly redesigned to say, you know, available on Etsy, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble, because I do have an Etsy store where I sell my books, and uh, sometimes prints associated with the books. Uh, uh, what printers do you use? I use uh, I use U-Printing, mainly. That's, uh, so you I, just do it, put I, it all together yourself? and cause oh, I know... oh, no, I do. Uh, so I... For a while, my uh, designer was uh, Jorge Santiago Jr., who's a comic book artist who drew a, a great comic called Spencer Unlock, which is about uh, a dark reimagining of Kelvin and Hobbes. Uh, and uh, I loved the way he did both the flashback, where it looked like newspaper comic strips, and a darker, edgier yeah, modern time. I read the first volume of that. That was pretty good. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the artist on that book, he did all my covers, was, my, was just my designer. He's an art professor now. He's uh, working on his own uh, comic book called Final Gamble, and he just wasn't available this time around. So I did get a new cover artist and a new graphic designer. So you're actually doing it the right way, though. You're hiring people to do these things for you. Because a lot of people in the indie community, they do everything themselves, but then they also fail some a lot of times because you know they're their own editor and you can't just edit your own work. You can't just put together your own cover. Not everybody's skilled enough to do that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I um I kind of uh, designed uh, the inside of Asimov Shines myself, but then I ended up still needing help from Corey Sandero Jr. who did the who did the cover, and uh, uh, I'm glad he was like patient patient with me back then. I just learned okay, just have someone else do the graphic design work. You know, yeah. <laughs> I uh, this isn't like I it, it's not that I have no ability, but it's not it's not my forte. You know, it's, uh, it's not I, my skill is writing. Mm-hmm. So. 
Um, yeah, free, and, uh, free you up to do some other yeah, stuff. Yeah, you don't have to get bogged down and all. I mean, I think you we were mentioned off air about like marketing and stuff and just doing all that stuff. Everything that's not writing yeah. for me sucks. <laughs> and I don't know how people spend so much time. Like, again, if you spend that much time doing, you're probably not creating the new thing because you're, you're focused on that. But we don't need to get bogged down in that because we did that last episode. Yeah. We were bitching about that stuff. But uh, <laughs> I know a lot of indie authors. Uh, I think Dan Noakes was on the podcast. He had he got um because he for a while he published everything through Amazon, and then and he had a lot of work, and then he ended up getting booted from Amazon for no reason. They didn't give him a reason. Banned for life, all his work banned, and he had to scramble to get new public, you know, somebody to print his work and stuff. Big pain in the ass. But I know a lot of people have these horror stories with Amazon, Lulu, like these different. Because we were looking, I think, at Lulu for a while when yeah. we were going to do the anthology. That's what I heard. I heard it was like, well, even just like, because I looked up uh, some YouTube videos of people's books they got in the mail, and it was just like fucked up. Mm. Like, the, the, you know, the, it just didn't come out the way they wanted. I don't know. They don't ship books properly. I have noticed that's another thing about them. You're right. Yeah, like they the boxes uh, came in, and they're just all like jammed up, and it just was awful. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they also, you could only buy off of them, I think. Like, so if you. Sell that through Lulu. really sucks about them. Yeah, so you, like, if you're on Lulu, you can't sell through Amazon as well or something. Like It only sells through Lulu. I don't... That's that's and, stupid. And you don't even get like a discount yourself as an author, too. You can set the price like way higher, but you're basically kind of just paying full price for your own book. It is ridiculous. See, when I looked uh, into it initially, like this is when we first... Like, yeah, 2016 yeah, or something when we first ago. started. Uh, it seemed better, but I don't think there was many... Uh, people going to it like using yeah. the pro- i think once it became more popular uh because when we started that was around the same time like the indie community uh, writing community really took off and people were just like oh we could publish our own work now and then everybody started doing that and we could go into this a little bit because like you like i said you already hit your first goal for your kickstarter uh i'm always very impressed by that even if it's not a lot of money which to me that seems like a lot of money but you know cuz some people have $30,000 kickstarter yeah. goals but it's like I'm always impressed by that because it's just the marketing and being able to get people to buy your work uh ahead of time before the work even comes out I think that's just a very difficult thing to do and when the market is so oversaturated everybody's doing kickstarters everybody how do you get people interested when, you know when you have like there's a uh an author you you probably uh, Charles Soul he has a kickstarter out for his new book and like a mm-hmm. companion book, and it's like you're a legitimate author plus like comic book writer, <laughs> and you're still on Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, like how are we supposed to complete <laughs> with you, man? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you have you found any of that challenge? I don't know if this is your first Kickstarter. If you're a you know a pro this is by my now, fourth Kickstarter, fourth oh, Kickstarter, my fourth Kickstarter, fourth book and fourth Kickstarter. There was an earlier edition of As the Moonlight Shines that was on Lulu Press. I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um. But uh, if you look back to my first Kickstarter, I do repeatedly refer to it as a second edition. It's because I published on Lulu the first time. It, it sucked. I designed it myself. I think I, I wanted to update it a little bit, add a forward, add some cool cover art, and uh, do a Kickstarter. Do it correctly. I think the other thing about Lulu back in the day is there weren't as many options. Uh, we're, we're talking like late 2000s, early 2010s. You know, Now there's so many ways to you know, self-publish I use I personally use Ingram Spark. Um, they work very well for me as a uh, as a poet and a and a prose novelist. I don't they're not I don't know if they're the best with comics. As far as uh, Kickstarter promotion, that was the question. Um, I think it's it's this is my fourth Kickstarter. I went to, I go to cons, talk to people. Um, honestly, it's a lot of other 
indie creators backing my Kickstarter because they know they know the struggle, so mm. they just back me. Uh, and then my friends and family, and then other people who uh, just find the book on on social media or on or on Kickstarter, or um, or maybe I handed a little promotional bookmark to them at a convention. You know, I was going to say um, I'd imagine the convention circuit's probably the best way to get people to actually back your Kickstarter because they get to meet you maybe pick mm-hmm. up one of your other books and well i mean what I, was, that's what i was gonna say at least it helps that you have some other work yeah. there too that you can kind of hopefully with each new project build that that base well social bigger. media is so informal anyway so like twitter for instance i probably get three or four times a week sometimes people sending me Kickstarter. i don't even know who they are just yeah. you know private message of me their kickstarter and stuff and it's like even if i knew you you know, I can't back all these Kickstarters, yeah. <laughs> uh, let alone probably even look at them, you know, because that's just like so much different stuff coming at me. It's like, I don't I don't even look at those anymore for the most part because it just there's too much. But I would imagine if you're just screaming into the void of Twitter, for instance, like if you have less than 50,000 followers or something, you're probably not getting too many backers from there. So I would think like the personal route, you know, conventions, uh, like you said, other indie authors and stuff that you're friends with. Uh, that's probably the way to go because that's the only real way to make a connection with people is in person. I feel. I mean, we meet, met some cool people online and stuff. We made a lot of friends that way. But until you actually talk to them, even like this, just you know, screen to screen, at least I could see you. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> but when you're just talking to somebody through fucking text, it's just like, yeah, well, that's I mean, not really like you were talking about the villains and the online trolls. It's not a real person <laughs> at that point. It's just a yeah. digital imprint. Well, I, yeah. that's that's what I like about especially like when we have guests on, or even whenever there's a podcast that I'm listening to, there will be times where like there's an author that I don't know about, or maybe if I I even do know, and it's like, and then I hear him on a couple podcasts, and like, oh, I like this guy, I'm gonna check out his stuff. But if I never heard those, I probably wouldn't. Well, or, that's or it would take me longer to get to them. That's a good point as well. I actually a lot of the new books I buy because I'm one of those people. It's hard for me to give a new author. Uh, and, I, and by new author, I don't mean somebody that just came out. I'm talking about somebody I just don't know or never read their work. It's hard for me to give new authors a chance just for the fact that there's so many books I haven't read already on my shelf. Usually when I listen to different podcasts, that's the main way I end up finding new authors. And I'm like, oh, I like their personality. I like what they're talking about. I find it interesting how they have this specific passion for this specific writing style. So I check out things like that usually based off of podcasts, YouTube videos, different things like that. So I think that's where people, if you do want to promote online, that's the way to go is a podcast. And, you know, if you want to make YouTube videos, probably TikToks. We're old, so we don't, I don't know about you, but I don't follow those. (laughs) Um, My wife sends me TikToks all the time. I'm like, I don't care. I'll just wait and watch it on the reels. I just, yeah, yeah, we wait wait until they're a year old on on Instagram reels. Think of the old men we are. Um, <laughs> yeah, Instagram's another one. Like I do not, I do not find writers on Instagram ever because I don't know how you promote on Instagram in a way that's engaging, unless they're promoting a podcast. That yeah. sometimes I find them that way. But I, I uh, actually find Instagram to be a great tool. Um, as of lately, uh, there are people moving off of Twitter and stuff, and uh, and you know I do have. Uh, artwork associated with my book so it's easy to use that imagery to promote uh, in Instagram stories and, and in posts and stuff. Uh, do you do uh, anything like excerpts or anything on there? Because that'd be cool like to go along with the because like you you do have the leg up because you actually hire graphic designers and stuff. You have cool book covers. That's what people want to see. 
But if you have, you know, you can have an excerpt, even if it's just in the paragraph below the picture or something, like that's probably a cool idea. I do. I, uh, I, uh, I did have a post uh, when I was uh, promoting uh, American Bug. I did that more. Whereas with uh, with Massacre at the Comic Shop, I kind of want a, a certain amount of mystery of you know what's inside the book until you actually read it. But um, aside from that one quote, you know, this ain't cosplay. Yeah. I just really like to do in the movies. Uh, I, I that is a quote from the book I'm using. No, yeah, when I was promoting American Bug, I uh, I, had inst- I had Instagram posts with uh, little excerpts of the poems. I used Medium to, to like, reveal. Uh, since I wrote American Bug um, as its own cohesive unit, you know, it is a collection of poetry that with a narrative through line. And so most of it was, was not shown to anyone until the book came out, except for my editor. And, yeah, I, I did. I used, little mm. qu- I, uh, I used little quotes, but I haven't done that really with a uh, massacre at the comic shop maybe that is a good idea maybe i should get some of your bloodier look. bits maybe and cut it off just yeah. at the right point you know get the reader to want to read more yeah uh, but then i don't i don't want to still reveal who lives and who dies though that's kind well, of that's why you cut it off before the actual murder or cut it off right. mid-murder <laughs> yeah. so you don't know who's being murdered you know yeah there's ways around it you're a journalist you do this yeah. for a living yes, I know. <laughs> you can make things in context or out of context <laughs> as your will yeah, absolutely <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is a good idea i uh, it seems obvious but i haven't um yeah <laughs> uh, maybe i should make a little post with that well i know that's how uh, like the instagram poets got like you see them in barnes and noble and stuff now because that's how they got famous was posting those little poems as their picture mm-hmm. and you know just took off like that it's a little harder for prose writers but since you write poetry as well you could at least have you know do some of that probably yeah and and, and i did do that with uh, american bug when i was promoting that as, as far as uh like i know you said you had an etsy shop uh where do you do you sell your books anywhere besides that or i mean i know you go to conventions as well but because we always we talked about this we never i don't know why we never bring this up if you're not traditionally published, can you at least get in local bookstores or like, I don't know how exactly that works. You can, uh, if you use Ingram spark, uh, Ingram spark is owned by Ingram, which is the same distributor that the, all the largest book companies use, you know? So, um, you know, it, it, uh, Ingram spark sends it out to bakers and Taylor and Ingram, which are, uh, bakers and Taylor's with the libraries use and, uh, all the indie bookstores, they use Ingram. So does Barnes and Noble. And they just they have it in their system, so you can just I uh, with uh, little bookstores I uh, send emails and also physically go there and I uh, talk to the owner and uh, and they look it up in their computer and they see that my book is right there and they can order it and I have uh, done that a few times before. Yeah, the the local bookshop in my uh, area used to have my books. Um, they've kind of downsized and unfortunately mm-hmm. they don't have them anymore. But um, I was even at some Barnes and Nobles. Although um, I do worry about uh, you know uh, then it being returned and then we got having to pay the money for it. So yeah, um, that's that's a problem. It's like especially Barnes and Nobles. Uh, mm-hmm. I would probably stick towards like the. Well, that's a tough one though, because one, it's probably very surreal when you see yourself on a Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Like, I made it. Oh, yeah. But then that, that's yeah. the Instagram <laughs> post right there. <laughs> yeah. But no, the, I did. I did that. I have an Insta- <laughs> I have Instagram posts. My books on the shelf at Barnes and Noble. Uh, most of those were eventually mailed back to me, and uh, I had to pay for them. That sucks. <laughs> you ride the high, and then you're the <laughs> low. Oh, well, at least they were there. Well, we. I think it was. I forget what episode it was. Recently, we talked about how. When's the last time you went to a Barnes and Noble and just picked out a book that from an author you didn't know, uh, just based on the cover, or the premise? Usually, you don't. 99% mm-hmm. of the time somebody goes into the bookstore, they haven't 
if they don't have a specific idea of what they're getting, they have a vague idea. Well, I like Neil Gaiman, so I'm going to yeah. go to there. I want to read some Alan Moore. I, you know, whatever it is. So Nobody wants to read Alan Moore, Caleb. Shut up, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> so if you go into the Barnes & Noble expecting to see your book selling out, that's probably not going to happen just because, you know, you're not one of the top books that people are looking for. But just the fact that you even get in there is like, that's bragging. Yeah. Yeah, I'd I'd brag about that. Like, yeah, fuck you guys. I'm in here. (laughs) I don't care if I got to pay when it comes back. I'm in here right now. I'd probably just like buy it myself. (laughs) Yeah, buy like like five copies. Damn, this book's selling out. We have to keep ordering it. Yeah, there is a a Dark Lotus song where a Violent J from ICP says, we used to buy our own records at the store so they would think it was a hot seller in all the malls. I thought about that. You know, I should have just went to Barnes & Noble and bought those copies off the shelf. Fake it till you make (laughs) it. I mean, if if they're going to get returned and you have to pay for them anyways, might as well pay for them through the bookstore. (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah. There's worse things you can spend your money on than your own book. It's, it's yeah. as long as nobody sees you doing it. Yeah. That'd be a little pathetic. Oh god, could you imagine the, the cashier like if you had like the you know the author photo or something yeah. that had to be on the back and they're checking you out and they just saw and they were just like, Oh, what are you what are you doing? The only thing that'd be more pathetic is if you bought the book and then you sat down at the coffee shop in the Barnes and, and Noble and started reading your own books and people would see you reading it. That would be terrible. Like what a fucking pompous douchebag that guy is! I know who you are. But like reading it like with like the book out in the open, like uh, just uh, <laughs> hey dickhead, did you not realize your picture's on the back of the book? You know it's you. Oh, I, if uh, my first book comes, I'm doing. It. I don't care. I, I'll just sit there and read. I'll have a beret on too. Just sit there. Yeah. Uh, we went grossly off topic. I think. Uh, well, I got a question for you, and like I know um, with the logistics and the money and, and stuff behind it, but if you could take all that away, and with you being a fan of the genre, have you uh, put any thought or or like uh, ever wanted to like write a write a comic instead of like go from go away from the prose and and try to get something done like you know like an indie comic or or anything like that or that's absolutely on my mind. Uh, I have to have an idea and a script first um which i the gears are turning in my mind right now uh i mean maybe the sequel or prequel to massacre the comic shop could be a comic instead of a prose novel because i'm thinking about a sequel or a prequel to this book that'd be a fun challenge just working with an artist and that's a completely different style of writing it's not narration heavy so you'd have to find a way to write your story so the artist could tell the story through the art like that's that'd be fun i'd like that challenge Uh, go on i didn't mean to interrupt you Oh no! It's, uh, no, it's great. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I would have to think, uh, f- uh, think about the right artist and find the perfect artist. Uh, well, I do I, know. So, well, I just didn't know but, if that'd even be something that you'd be interested in, or if it was just like, no, I, th- I would rather just like stick with the prose and just mm. read my comics other than trying to like make comics. You know, like, I know yeah, some people, cool. some people rather not, you know, do one or the other, or some people want to do both, or you know, everything. Oh, that absolutely is something I'm interested in. It might it might be what my next project is, but right now I'm still promoting this Kickstarter, and so uh, and even doing I've even even I'm still doing some slight rewrites um, as well. Just kind of just adding paragraphs here and there, basically. I have to be very careful about that because it has already been edited. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, you want to uh, pay for another go around? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was just thinking like that. It doesn't even have to be a sequel. If you did a comic book, you just do a comic book version of the yeah. novel. You know, maybe a year or two down the road. 
Uh, because then you could tell the same story, but like I said, it would be in a different way. Yeah, you have the visuals. That, that's a good everything. idea. You couldn't use Ghostface, obviously. You'd yeah, have, you'd to have to change yes. it up a little yeah. bit. Work but, around that, yeah. but yeah, that would just that would be an interesting idea too. Because I was just thinking, like different writers we know, uh, like we know a bunch of people with Source Point Press who they wrote like novels and stuff, and now they mainly focus on comics or they turn their prose novels into comics because that's like a. It's like an indie press kind of like they're bigger, yeah. But they still well, focus like on a lot of you probably know them because you. I'm uh, very familiar. I mean, in the they're they're at all the Midwestern conventions. Yeah. So. yeah, we we've met a whole bunch of those guys over the years. Uh, because we used to do press gigs at all the Wizard Worlds and stuff. So nice. we uh our fake journalism we got to do a bunch of write ups for that just so we can get in for free. Yeah. <laughs> that was our main goal. <laughs> yeah, we just yeah. wanted to get in for nice. free. But then we're like, God damn it, we went to eighty panels this weekend. I don't want to do this anymore. Should just paid <laughs> the fifty bucks. Were, and none of them were that good. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're never that good. because uh, we we made it a point we'd be like, you know what? We're not gonna focus on interviewing the celebrities, you know, the stuff people probably wouldn't want to yeah. read about. No, we're gonna focus <laughs> on the indie guys. We're gonna go to the panels for the romance novel. <laughs> it just never worked out. It was terrible every time. It was like one or two panels every year were good, but anyway, so we are pulling on an hour here. Going back to your poetry, I asked you offline if you wanted to read one, uh, and yeah. I, I saw you shuffling some papers here earlier. You got one? I do. Uh, I was thinking. I, I'm was thinking about which one. Still thinking about which one. Um, it's not the garlic soup one, is it? <laughs> I I can't read that one <laughs> since we talked about it. So why not? Um, and which collection is this one in? This was in uh, As the Moonlight Shines. Uh, oh, that book's a lot uh, bigger than I thought it was. Yeah, it is. This uh, this is the uh, the the new one. Uh, yeah, again, I kind of designed it uh, the inside myself, and that was kind of a mistake. <laughs> I, up, I shouldn't have done the workbook size. Yeah, that but, one's uh, uh, yeah, that's pretty big. That yeah, the other one's a little more normal sized. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. As uh, American Bug is, um, and this is a, even slightly bigger than the original one. The uh, this is a hardcover. I can't think of the actual size of hand, but uh, actually, I'm going to read a poem that's not in any of my books. Uh, that okay, that works. Can give us some newness. Uh, Ooh. Yes. <laughs> DPW exclusive. There you go. <laughs> uh, it's called uh, "No One Dies in Their Thirties." No one dies in their thirties. In their teens and 20s, folks kill themselves. They get killed by others and they die in accidents. But in your 30s, we're more responsible. We have full frontal lobes. We're less chemically imbalanced. So no one dies in their 30s. No one dies in their 30s. In their 40s, folks die of heart complications. They die of illness and tumors, not cysts. It may be rare, but 40-somethings die of cancer. It may be considered dying too young, but no one dies in their 30s. Does this mean I don't live every day like it could be my last? Do I pretend like any deadly fear is a thing of the past? No, but I shouldn't succumb to every whimsical temptation. Sometimes it just makes more sense in the upcoming long run. The older I got, the more this attitude begun. Because no one dies in their 30s. This may sound silly if you take it too literally. I'm sure someone somewhere out there died in his 30s. I did a Google search and found that Gigi Allen died at age 36, a shock rocker whose whole bit was doing crazy shit. But I had friends who didn't make it to 25, and if they made it there, they still didn't to 30. But no one dies in their 30s. I understand that in a mass shooting, everyone dies, and when bombs are dropped, they leave no survivors. Your past can catch up to you, and no one is immortal. I'm not being insensitive. Come on. You know what I mean. 
almost no one dies in their 30s. I often think about what it would be like if you were still here, and how much you would have changed with me over the years. You were there beside me on my father's deathbed. We were like brothers to the end, or so we had said. I'm so different now than how I was, or how you were back then. I feel like no one dies in their 30s. The night you were murdered, I wrote the poem, Alive with Dark Eyes. I wrote, well, I live to see a time I'm not crying inside. I can't believe I'm alive. I can't believe I survive. But somehow I did, and I'm doing okay. I'm not going to die in my 30s. I'm well aware that everyone's story is like mine. One of my favorite songs is What's My Age Again, a song about impersonating police and making prank phone calls. It wasn't until my late 20s when I went back to school full-time, after failing all my classes to write poems and get high, rarely doing what I needed to get my shit together, because too many people die in their 20s. The first long-form fiction I wrote glamorized dying young, but after my best friend was murdered, everything changed. I never finished my novel because I was no longer inspired. He was less than a year younger than I was when I was 20 years old. This guided my actions and mindset throughout much of the decade. But I'm such a different person than I was back then. I'm too old to die young, but way too young to die. Because no one dies in their 30s. You get the poet's snaps. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have uh, plans for that? You going to publish that in something? So, you know, uh, yes, actually. So uh, if uh, maybe the 2000 stretch goal will be a small book called like the Nicky Lenowski Reader that includes poems from both my books and a few unpublished, previously unpublished poems. It'll be just a small little booklet, uh, Kickstarter exclusive. Well, if uh, I may make a suggestion, maybe you should try submitting that to a couple literary journals first. If it gets picked up, you get to attribute that in your, they get the first, usually I think it's six months uh, first rights or something, but as long as you attribute them in whatever you publish it in, it actually makes, you know, it look better because they can say, hey, this was yeah. published in said said journal. It's uh, a good idea. And, yeah. and it just also, it's also nice to have a credit on your, you know, on your resume of, yeah. that wasn't yeah. like from yourself. Because I, I mean, you know, like in a deeply, a deep poem like that with such like emotional connections that a lot of people can relate to. I see those published in a lot of these journals and I think people would no. go for that. So that might be something, uh, you know, just an avenue to go down. Um, yeah. Do you have any you recommend? Oh, there's, there's a lot. There's poetry online. Uh, if you pay, it's like $5 and 14 cents. They'll get back to you within the week. Now, again, some of these are very difficult to get into because they're pay markets. Uh, there's 32 poems. And yeah, you have to look at the guidelines too to see because some of them go by uh, the length, but usually they're pretty. Like you could have a longer poem like that, and it'll be all right. But uh, so poetry mm -hmm. online, thirty-two poems. Uh, I think there's one called. I'm trying to think of the ones that will get back to you fairly quickly. Uh, there's one that's called One Art, and you know what? There's one that I haven't been able to crack. They're called Anti Heroin Chic. They post a lot of stuff about like different like addictions and like deeper emotional things like that. So you might have a shot there. Uh, they're not a pay market, but again, just you know the credit sometimes. Absolutely. But yeah, if you just look up poetry submissions online, you'll find a whole list. There's you know again, if you want to, the main problem is a lot of these ones um, that I didn't mention will be like a six month wait or specific mm -hmm. open periods. But some of them you can get on a little. Uh, you get within a, at least a month, I would I would imagine. 
I haven't had much success, but I've uh, I don't have a lot of poetry that I submit. And again, mine a lot of the stuff I write also isn't that long or uh you know, it has that that personal impact that yours has. So, I think I think that one has a good shot though. That would be one to shop around. You might get rejected 10 times in a row, but you probably get picked <laughs> up by somebody and just like I said having that credit goes a long way when you put it in your book or whatever. You'd be like, hey, this po- published in said said magazine. Sure. People right. like, they, they just take you more serious, you know? They, they, they read that and they're just like, oh, yeah, that's okay. Even if they never yeah. heard of the publication, yeah. they just immediately think, oh, that's a... If you get something that has review next to the name, you're even better, you know? The New England <laughs> Review, well, shit, that's a top journal probably. Like, you know, it'd be all right. Uh, and also yeah. you can look at local ones too because Chicago, they have a lot of local... Uh, poetry journals and stuff you can get because again you don't really need a big name one i'm sure you don't really care about getting paid the ten dollars or whatever they're gonna pay you for it but uh you get and also you get the bonus of uh a good chunk of readers that aren't your base are gonna find you um absolutely and you could probably do that with a lot of your other poems but they can't be published most places will not publish any work that you you know had published uh even if it was by yourself right wait so um and what about that poem is on my medium account. Uh, that's that, that's an account is being published, right? Uh, like the can anyone read that? Uh, yes. Anyone can go online and read it. If you were to submit it anywhere, I'd recommend just taking it down just for the fact that a lot of places, even if it's your own blog, they say that counts. Um, right. But I've been published where I just I had work published to like the old DPW site or on my website and I just took it down when I went to submit it and then they yeah. don't really search. So uh, as long as it doesn't pop up in their Google search or anything, uh, they, yeah. you know, and, and I've been accepted and then I just don't publish it back until you get the rights back. Once you get the rights right. back, like I said, you can republish it yourself you just have to attribute the journal that it was published in and again what are they gonna do call the cops if you yeah. don't like these places yeah. they don't have money <laughs> but uh yeah that's that's just worth checking out um absolutely and there are actually yeah. are there are publications that even if it's uh they have a section even if it's previously published work where you got published in another journal not even counting just your own stuff but if you got published in another journal they'll still accept it uh, as a second printing or third printing, I don't know. Uh, there's different rules for. It. I never tried that, but that's also something to keep on. There's a whole lot of research, probably. But and honestly, would look at you would even look at a resume when applying to journalism jobs, like say yeah. it's publishing, you know, because it's it's writing. So yeah, usually I find that most journalists, at least the ones I see like on Twitter and stuff that have a huge following, they before they even got a job with whatever company they're working for. They have a background, you know, their bio. If you read their bio, it's got published in this magazine, this journal, mm-hmm. online here. So usually that kind of stuff actually does help with jobs, too, because it shows that people want to read what you which is ultimately what you want is people like an employer wants their the person that they're going to publish their work or hire them. They want them to be somebody people are going to read. So, yeah. you know, people see that Nick has been published in this and this. An employer might go, well. That's pretty well to do. This guy's probably got a following. Let's get him in here, and he could be their next Hunter S. Thompson, you know? Do a bunch of peyote and drive him up through Nevada, and we'll pay him a top dollar. I wish yeah. life was still like that. Have him cover a race. <laughs> yeah, have him cover a race. Um, well, before we get out of here, if you want to promote your Kickstarter, website, social media, anything you want to shout out, this is your moment. It's the shilling time. Well, yeah, it's the time the greedy, gross portion that people sometimes listen to. <laughs> well, my uh, publishing imprint is called Starving Author Press. If you Google that, you'll find my books. Um, I actually 
think I mentioned that at any point in the interview. My uh, Twitter is at starving author, uh, one word. Uh, Instagram, cynical underscore but underscore fun. You know, at cynical but fun with underscore mm. between. You know. And uh, uh, my uh, my Kickstarter is running until April 26th. It's called, as we've discussed, Massacre at the Comic Shop. You can go on Kickstarter, search it, find it easily. Yeah, buy, uh, buy my books, but especially back my Kickstarter. All right, folks, you heard the man buy the GD books. Um, <laughs> I'll also put that stuff in the show notes, so you don't have to keep rewinding. You can just go in the show notes and click, lazy fucks. Um, I like to insult the listeners at the end of the episodes, just to prove who's actually stuck around, you know, because then they come back the next episode, that guy called us lazy fucks, and you know you are, yeah. except for the German ones that listen, because most of them, you know, they're always biking to work and stuff. Yeah. They're not lazy, but... If yeah. Americans, I should probably just narrow it down. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, Nick, we thank you for coming on. Uh, it was a pleasure thank speaking you. to you, and yeah. I really did like your poem. So, like I said, uh, submit that places. I think it has uh, potential. Good, good idea. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no yeah. problem. Um, I'm gonna check you out on Instagram because I didn't know you had one. So I'm gonna look at that when I get off here. Be a creep. Yeah, I'm gonna be a creep. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I just start liking everything. Put little hearts on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go on the alternate account, Spencer the. Detroit dirt. Well, you could have been Dutch. I could have made you the Dutch dirt digger. That yeah, sounded better. Yeah, that's a little bit better. Yeah, I don't know why I picked Detroit. Just, <laughs> Detroit's digging ditches, not dirt. Yeah. I know it's semantics here. Nobody cares. Um. <laughs> anyway, we thank you for coming on, and folks, we thank you for listening. If you want to check out our wonderful work, uh, we don't have wonderful work, do we? Probably mm -hmm. not. Uh, you could go to DPW Podcast on everything. Everything. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. That's not everything. That's minimal things. Yeah. Facebook, right? I said Facebook. Yeah. Twitter. I said anyway. Uh, you can follow <laughs> me at calebjamesk.com. I was recently publishing literally stories, so you can check that out. I have a link uh, on my publication history, and uh, that's a fun story that also deals with murder. Just coincidentally, <laughs> um, it also has a man <laughs> with a giant machete. Uh, so you folks could check that out, and I would be appreciative if you gave some feedback on that. Uh, and we thank you for listening, and we will check you next week. Hopefully not with the guest. Yeah, no offense, yeah, Nick. Yeah. I'm just tired of interviewing people. <laughs> Three weeks in a row is enough. It's a lot of work. I want to go back to drinking and being a buffoon and not having to be professional <laughs> by any means. So uh, check us out next week. We'll, we'll, we'll do something. Yeah. I don't fucking know. Mm -hmm.